Heavenly Father, we ask that you would open our ears now as we come to the truths that are contained here. So many years ago, they were written down for our benefit this morning. So, Lord, we pray that you would illuminate our minds by your Spirit as we look at the pages of the Old Testament together and so that we would be encouraged to continue to follow you as best we are able. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this week is the second week in our study of Genesis chapter 3 together. Last week we began it by looking at verse 1 and Satan as he comes to Eve in the garden and speaks to her and says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And so last week we understood what it means that Satan challenged our first parent, Eve, our first mother, Eve, to consider God's word and to judge it. God had created the world in six days and then he created Adam and Eve on the sixth day. He put them in this lovely garden and here Satan then comes along and he attacks God's word. He encourages Eve to judge God's word. And now today we're going to look at verses 2 and 3. So I encourage you to open your Bibles up to page 3 of your Black Church Bibles. Page 3, we see in verses 2 and 3 Eve's response to Satan's question and she doesn't tell him to get lost and to go away or who are you and why should you be challenging God instead we start to see that in her response the poison that Satan has administered to her ears has begun to take effect she's not a total goner yet but she's definitely showing that she's become under the influence of what Satan has said I'm allergic to bee stings. I found this out when I was a a young child. And it's interesting how it affects. At first, there's pain when you get stung. But it takes a bit of time, and then I start to feel itchy, particularly in the area that I was stung in. And then I start to have breathing difficulty. It takes some time for the poison to have real effect upon me, and particularly could end up killing me if I was stung by enough bees. And that's what's happening here with Eve. She's been stung by the serpent, And we're starting to see the effects take hold in verses 2 and 3. She hasn't taken off the fruit yet, but we can see in her response to Satan that things are not as they should be. In fact, she is starting to think that God has been unfair, that God has been harsh to her in withholding one particular tree from her in the garden we see that she starts to have a low view of God in her response. And we see it in three ways that she speaks. Three things, well, two that she omits and one that she actually says in verses 2 and 3. Her response to the serpent we read in verse 2. Look with me now. Verse 2, it says, The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Remember, God had given them a command. He put them in the garden, given them a command. You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we can see that back in chapter 2, verse 15, 16 and 17. Look with me at chapter 2, verse 15 for the original statement of God as to what they are to do. It says in verse 15, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. That's the original command. Now look at what Eve says in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 3. 
We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. Just there, verse 2, what do we see? We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. Now, she's omitted two things that God said back in chapter 2. What did God say in verse 16 of chapter 2? You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. God said you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. She's omitted the word free and she's omitted the word any, which demonstrates that she's starting to see God as a little bit unkind in his command that he has given. See, when God gave the original command, he's kind of like you know a mum that loves you very much and you go over for a meal and she says, eat, 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 anything you want, eat, 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 anything in the house. Oh, can I get something from the cupboard? You don't like what I'll put it on the table? Oh, that's okay, that's okay. What, what, what have I got over here that you might like? Oh, dish it up, I'll make it for you. I have a mother who's a bit like that. She knows that when I come over... I like chocolate sauce with my ice cream and she'll melt some chocolate down in the microwave, the best kind of chocolate sauce, but it's actually pure chocolate. She'll, and just for me, everybody else is eating whatever there is for dessert and she's melted down chocolate just for me. She knows that I like it and she's, eat, 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 what do you want? Eat, eat, eat. And that's what God has done with Adam. He said, you must, you are free to eat. He's emphasised the fact, eating, eat, 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 eat. And from any tree in the garden, any tree at all, except for that one over there. Whereas Eve, in her response, she says, what does she say in verse 2? We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. Yes, we can eat, and we can eat from the trees in the garden, but it's almost like we're kind of limited in what we can eat. It's not any tree in the garden. We can eat from the trees in the garden, and it's not eat, eat, eat. She's toned down the language of Jesus and so of of God, and so we can see that she is starting to see God as not particularly as kind as he said he was in ver- in chapter two, verse sixteen. And then we see another way that she has started to view God as harsh in the way that she presents the command in verse three. In verse three, it says, "But God said, this is chapter three, verse three." This is Eve speaking. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Did God say you can't touch the fruit? Look with me back there in verse 16 of chapter 2. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are not free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. There's nothing about touching there. Now, maybe Adam's told her this, don't touch it, so that she'll be much more careful about possibly eating of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, so it's a nice restriction. But this is an extra law that puts God in a bad light. It's kind of like the Pharisees in the New Testament where they're saying, you must be circumcised to be saved. Now, yes, maybe it's a good thing to be circumcised, but is it actually necessary for salvation? And the Pharisees don't just do that with the, the early church. Of course, when Jesus is there himself on the earth, the Pharisees have all kinds of extra laws that Jesus often challenges, which all those extra laws, it makes out that God is harsher than he actually is. All these extra laws on top of the law of God. And that's what Eve is doing here. We can see that she is already starting to view God as not as generous, not as kind as he proclaims himself to be in chapter 2, verses 16 and 17 when he gives the original command. And so Eve stands as a warning for us today as well. 
because Eve had a way to live. She was given a garden, she was given a place to do, do her work for the Lord, and she was told what she shouldn't do. And if she continued doing what she'd been commanded, she would have had eternal life. But she decided that she would view God as harsh and ended up paying with her life. And we have a similar circumstance for us. God has given us a way to live as well. He has sent his son to die in our place as a substitute for our sins And then he has told us how we are to live. He has saved us for work. He hasn't saved us so we can go out and sin even more. He has saved us for a purpose, to serve him. He's made us a kingdom and priests in his kingdom so that we can work and serve him and we can enjoy serving him in the ways that he has prescribed. Yet Satan comes along as he came along to Eve. And whispers to us. And it's not long if we listen to Satan before we start to devalue the good things that God has given us. Similarly to Eve in the way that she devalued the good things that God had given her. How does such thinking reveal itself? How does it show that you may be thinking lightly of what God has given you, the provisions he has made? Well, it's when you speak lightly of what God has done. Or even forget the things that God has done for you. And particularly when you sin. Every time you sin, you are devaluing what God has given you and going after what he hasn't given you as though it's not enough what you have given me, God. I need more. I need what you have said is off limits. And so every time we sin, we're actually making a statement about what God has done for us and the blessings that he has poured out upon us. So what is the cure for the poison that Satan often brings to our ears, that he often makes us devalue God's blessings to us? Well, it's by remembering the blessings that God has given us. We have to continue to try and remember what God has given us so that we don't think so much about what he hasn't given us and desire and crave it so much. Because often we're like children who forget about the toys that they have. Some children, well, particularly my children, they have been very generous grandparents, very generous aunts and uncles, and reasonably generous parents, and so they have multitude of toys. It's very, very easy for them to forget what toys they have. And so when they go into the shops, they're eager for what they don't have because they've forgotten all the good things that they have at home. And so we actually do a cycle where we take away a good portion of the toys of our children, leave them with some, and then every quarter, every six months or so, we bring out all the toys, get them to put some away and keep some. And it's amazing how old toys that they were not interested in before suddenly have great value and they love playing. They'll actually spend a whole day playing with a toy that they've played with many, many times before. But because they haven't seen it, for six months, it suddenly becomes of great value to them. And we are often like little children who have been given so many toys, so many good things by God, that we've forgotten what we have. And so it's not surprising that we want what isn't ours to have. So this morning I want to, to try and encourage you to value what you have, just remind you of at least four things that God has given you that should satisfy you, 
but we often devalue. And the first and I think the foremost thing that we should always remember that we have from God is God himself. We have a father in heaven who loved us so much that he created us and sent his son into the world to die for our sins, who we call upon to give us this day our daily bread, who we call upon and he listens and he speaks to us. That is one of the marvellous blessings we have as Christians, God the Father. And we don't just have God the Father, we have God the Son. We have Jesus himself who gave his very life. He paid with his body and blood so that we could go free. We have redemption because of Jesus Christ. And then he comes and lives within us and continues to intercede before the Father for us regularly. As we sin, he is there being our advocate before the Father. We have the Son. And we also have the Holy Spirit. We don't just have the Father, the Son. We also have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who has been granted to us as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance in our hearts, who illuminates our minds, who invigorates us, who strengthens us to do God's work, who produces the fruit of the Spirit within us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. All these fruit are produced in us by the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And we can enjoy those fruit to a to as much as we like. Those are things that are given by God to us. You can never have enough love in your life. It's a thing that you can fill your heart with and keep on filling it. You can never have enough joy or peace in your heart. You should be thankful for those things and not devaluing them by thinking lightly of them. And so when we have these three persons, we know, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, that they are with us wherever we go. And so we've always got reason to be thankful. But so often it's like we devalue such treasure. Particularly when we sin, as Eve devalued the trees that she did have. We speak lightly of having God. Yes, I have God, but I need more. I actually had someone speaking to me about someone that had hurt them and they were chasing this person and trying to get justice from this person, I said, let the person go. You don't need them. In fact, you don't actually need anyone in your life. Don't harass people on Facebook trying to get them to reconcile with you if they don't want to be. If you've got Father, Son and Holy Spirit, you don't need that person in your life. And they said, that's wrong, Joel. I need more than Christ. I need people. I need certain people in my life. And that's a devaluing of what you have in the Holy Trinity. If you've got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you can be on a desert island and still be thankful. You have much treasure in having the Trinity as your God. Secondly, we have spiritual armour. God has been very generous in giving us the armour of God, which we see in Ephesians chapter 6. Turn with me now to look at this treasure that we often forget we have. Page 1160. 1160. Ephesians chapter 6. And I'll read from verse 10. Page 1160, reading from verse 10. Finally... Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, 
and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, and this is the armour of God that has been granted to you, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. You have the truth if you are a Christian, and that's not something to be devalued. You have the breastplate of righteousness in place. You have righteousness imputed by Jesus Christ and actively producing righteousness by the Holy Spirit in you. It is a privilege to have righteousness. It is a treasure that we should be thankful for. Verse 15, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, we have good news and we should be thankful as a result and not devalue such a treasure. And in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. We have been granted faith. Do you realize that you did not produce faith in yourself, in God? You did not produce belief in God in yourself. It was granted to you, and it is a precious gift that you have faith from God. It is a tree that has been granted to you, like Eve had many trees in the garden. Faith is one of those gifts from God and should not be devalued. And then in verse 17, take the helmet of salvation. You have salvation from sin. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. It's a privilege to have the word of God. That God spoke and that you actually have a copy in your own tongue. And most of you have one in your own home. And if you don't have one in your own home, see me afterwards and I'll make sure that you do. It is a privilege to have the Bible. And then it goes on to speak there. I can't help myself here in verse 18 to speak of prayer, the gift of prayer, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. It is a gift of God to be able to pray, to speak to him. It is a treasure that we often devalue, and we show it by the way that we don't want to pray, that often we go through our days without speaking to the Lord. I've had people devalue prayer to me as well. I've had someone say to me, Joel, if you won't do this for me, please don't pray for me. I don't want you praying for me. I was kind of shocked the first time it happened. Like, how could someone actually say, don't pray for me? But yes, they had their heart set on something else and they couldn't get it. And they said, if you won't help me get that, I didn't think it was appropriate for them to get it. They said, don't pray for me. Don't patronize me by saying, I'll be praying for you. It's a devaluing of prayer. And this person called themselves a Christian. We can devalue the armour of God. I had someone else say, when I'm upset, Joel, don't come over and read the Bible to me. Don't come over and read the Bible to me. What are they saying? When I'm under attack, keep the sword in the sheath, please. Don't fight back with the Bible. I don't want to hear from God's word when I'm upset. I want to hear you say nice, positive things to me that don't come from Scripture. Or don't say anything at all. The devaluing of a precious gift from God, a precious tree of life that has been given to us. Just like Eve devalued the trees that were at her disposal there in the garden so many years ago. So we have God himself, great treasure. That's all we really need. Then he's also given us the armour of God in his mercy. Then he's also, third thing, third treasure I bring before you this morning to remind you of is the body of Christ. 
We're not alone in this world. We have brothers and sisters in Christ. God has given you people who worship the same God. And he's actually instituted that you should come regularly together with them. He hasn't said, oh, yes, you're all brothers and sisters in Christ and try and keep in touch when possible. No, he's given you one day a week. He calls the Lord's Day and says, come together and encourages you all to come together so that you can be encouraged. And at such meetings, he actually instructs us as to what to do so that we are encouraged, that we read the Bible, we hear the Bible preached, that we pray, that we sing praises to him, that we enjoy fellowship, conversation with one another. So that when you come to the services of God, it's not a waste of your time. It's not like we come together on Sundays and, yes, we're brothers and sisters in Christ and we simply talk about the weather or other interests. No, he's instituted that when you come together, you'll actually benefit. It's not like when you go for some workplaces that you have to go to certain in-services and it's part of the requirements, the policies that someone wisely drew up in the company, that everybody has to do this in-service and you go along and you're learning the same thing that you learned three years ago and they haven't changed the material and you remember the material and it's all a bit of a waste of time going along to the in-service. It's not much profit for you. And you say, why am I here? And it could so easily be the case that when we gather as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we could waste our time talking about things that are not benefit. But God has instituted that we should read the Bible, hear the word preached, spend time in prayer, sing praises to him for our profit, so that when we come together, we actually benefit from being around one another because he's regulated how our meetings are to happen. And so we've got to be very careful that we don't devalue the body of Christ. It is a rich treasure that God has given us, and we can easily devalue it. I heard of a minister who had said to his friend, the friend said it to a group of ministers, had an in-service of some sort. Anyway, I won't go into that. But we were, we were all together, all these ministers, and he were, they were starting to talk about how bad churches can treat pastors. That's what, one of the terrible things of getting all pastors together is that they start to do this. And one pastor said, I have a friend who fell out of ministry after three years, and he said, I gave my life for the church, and she wasn't worth it. The thought that occurred in my mind is, thank Jesus that you didn't think that because he really did give his life for the church and he really did believe she was worth it we can often belittle the church of God the body of Christ we forget what a privilege it is to have the treasure of brothers and sisters in Christ they're a wonderful tree that God has given to us in the garden that we live in so that we can benefit and instead we devalue it. We speak badly of the body of Christ. We don't want to be around our brothers and sisters. And so then what do we do? We go after the things that are not ours to have because we've forgotten how much God has given us in the body of Christ. I know it's hard sometimes to gather with God's people. I feel it too. I've just clicked over nine years in ministry now. And I remember when I was a young adult, loving going to church services. I'd actually go, the church I was going to had three services on a Sunday. I'd go to all three, and it was the same sermon at all three. So I'd be getting the same sermon again and again and again. But I loved meeting all the other brothers and sisters that would attend the different services. I remember that. But 
now that I've been in ministry for a while, and my experience of church is different from sitting in the pew every Sunday. And so Tuesday mornings, sometimes I feel the weight of the fact that in six days' time a major work is due. I'm going to have to stand up before a bunch of examiners who will be listening to everything that I say, including one on high who will listen to what I have to say. So Tuesday morning, sometimes it's a heavy heart as I've had my day off on the Monday and I know not long now and I'll be up again having to deliver after I poured my heart out last uh, 24 hours ago. I'm going to have to pour it out again soon. And so it's hard to come to church sometimes. But I've got to remember what a privilege it is to gather before the brothers and sisters that I love dearly and to speak about God to use the gift that he has given me and not hide it in the ground as I might be tempted to do, to get out of the ministry and go and just enjoy church as one who sits in the pew. No, God has given me so much. How can I not share the gift of preaching if he has indeed given it to me and enjoy serving him and enjoy encouraging brothers and sisters to keep their eyes fixed upon Christ? Sunday services should be the highlight of our week. They should govern the rest of the week. And if coming to a service on a Sunday morning is the low part of your week, then you've devalued it in your mind, just like Eve devalued all those blessings that were given to her in the garden. We have to view the Sunday service as a high point because this is as close to heaven as you get. Do you realise that? Heaven will be brothers and sisters in Christ, praising God, Hearing from God, that's what heaven will be. Yes, we might have other work to do, but one of the highlights of heaven for us is gathering with brothers and sisters to sing praises to God and to hear from God. Being with the body of Christ should indeed be the highlights of our times here on earth. Not just Sunday services, gathering for prayer meetings, for Bible studies, for men's and women's meetings, they should be a delight for us, not a burden. Because that is a treasure from God to be able to gather with brothers and sisters in Christ. So we've seen that we have the treasure of God himself. We've seen that we have the treasure of the armour of God. We've seen that we have the treasure of the body of Christ. Fourth one, last one. So we have the treasure of paradise from which we will one day freely eat, freely eat. We have a wonderful salvation to look forward to. Interesting how focusing on a holiday can get us through a rough patch in this world. I just had a holiday to New Zealand and it was nice to have that to look forward to over a, a few months as we'd planned it particularly when I might be feeling down at times, I think about the holiday to come. And I've already planned, I've only been back for, what, two weeks, and I've already planned when my next holiday will be. Those who fail to plan, plan to fail. If I don't plan, I won't actually have the holiday, potentially. Some pastors who have, like, 14 weeks of annual leave up their sleeve because they just never take time off. I like to take my time off because I know that looking forward to a holiday at times can help me get through a rough patch. And we as Christians have a major holiday to get to look forward to that can get us through the roughest of all lives. Do you realise what the holiday is that you are looking forward to? 
you're going to a place that is a heavenly city with walls made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls are decorated with every precious stone. And when you go to that place, that holiday, you'll be given a new resurrection body that knows no death, no mourning, no crying, no pain, no sin. So often on holidays, one of the worst things about looking forward to a holiday is the fact when you finally get the holiday, you're sick through it all. You catch a cold, you get unwell, you hurt yourself badly. And that fabulous time overseas, you're confined to a hotel. That's not the experience of the holiday in heaven. You won't get sick on that holiday. And there will be no sin. That's one of the other things that can often destroy holidays, particularly family holidays. You all go away and you all fight together. And so you don't, no one enjoys the holiday because you're constantly bickering with one another. You look forward to going back home so that you can all go your separate ways. I even heard we, we were on a, a cruise once and the, we had an adjoining cabin and you could hear a little bit through the, the door that would be for you to go from one cabin to the next. Uh, if you were a family uh, taking up two cabins. And one time, we, we, you couldn't hear anything, generally speaking, but one time the couple in the cabin next to us had a major fight, and we could hear what it was over. The guy had taken some washing to do at the laundry and had taken accidentally one of her socks, and he hadn't brought it back. And the language out of this girl's mouth, I didn't know girls spoke that way, to this boyfriend, husband, I don't know. She was off a rocker about this sock that he had lost. And I almost felt like going around and knocking on the door and saying, here's $20 for some new socks, just calm down. You're meant to be on holidays, you're meant to be enjoying yourself. But that's what often happens on holidays. Sin gets in the way and we don't enjoy it. But the holiday that we're going to in heaven, there's no sin there. We'll all enjoy ourselves. It's a marvellous treasure we have to look forward to in heaven. And we'll see Christ face to face there. We get glimpses of him here on earth, but we'll see him face to face. We get to see our king, our prince there in heaven, the prince of peace himself. And this is one holiday that never ends. Isn't that wonderful to know? So many holidays we look forward to them and they come to an end. This holiday, this paradise, it goes on forever and ever. This is a treasure that we have been granted by God. The helmet of salvation is on our heads. We have a salvation, a paradise that we are going to. But so often we forget about this treasure. And we live as though this world is our treasure rather than the life to come. We devalue it. And so it's not surprising we get caught up in all kinds of sins because we've forgotten what we have coming to us. So there's four treasures for you. God himself, the armour of God, the body of Christ, and paradise. Now maybe I haven't mentioned another treasure this morning. You're thinking, oh, is he going to say it, going to say it, going to say it, and I haven't said it. Well, at morning tea, there will be time for you to correct me and correct other people as well. Remind them of another treasure that I may have missed that you have as a Christian, that you love to value. We have so many trees from God in the garden to enjoy. It's easy to overlook them, and I may have overlooked one this morning. But the ones I've mentioned, I think we do often overlook. 
to our detriment. Just as Eve overlooked the trees that she had to her detriment so many years ago. And so we have to fight against Satan's poison as it traces up our arms to our heads. And how do we do that? By remembering these things. Taking the word of God and reminding us of what we have in Christ. And then thanking God in prayer for what he has given us. This is one of the great tools I have whenever I'm tempted by something that I want to do and I know it's sin. Or I'm after something that I know I really don't need. I start to bring up in my mind and speak to God in prayer and thank him for what I do have. You can start from when you were a child and work your way through all the good things he has given you over the years and come up to present day and think about what he has done. And if you start through that catalogue, you soon start to be overwhelmed at the treasure God has given you. And whatever you're hungering after, whatever you're tempted to do, pales away because you know you have enough in God. And don't just speak to God about such treasures. Speak to others as well. Regularly praise the treasures that you have to others so that you are reminded and they are reminded so that we do not go after what is not ours to have. Yes, there are struggles in being a Christian. It's hard in this world. But God has given us much, so much, hard for me in a short sermon this morning to try and impress that upon you because he's given us so much and so for all the struggles that we have we have abundant treasure that far outweighs them we as christians have to always be people who are glass half full people we can't be glass half empty people because we have an abundance from the lord whatever we have that we're going through, the struggles that we have, there is more than enough to outweigh them in God and the blessings that he has given us. Let's come before God in prayer. Let's speak with him. Heavenly Father, we confess that we have often belittled the marvellous provisions, the marvellous gifts you have given us and hungered for what is not ours to have, as though you haven't given us anything and you've been mean in restricting us from what our heart craves. So, Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for not being satisfied with your generous blessings. And, Lord, help us to delight in what we have. Help us to bring it up in our minds and to thank you for it and to praise what you have given us to those around us. So, Lord, we pray that you would watch over us, guard our hearts, and help us to be content. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.